can't really sing. <laughs> la 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 Welcome to the SBNY Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. If you have not done so yet, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, which you can find by searching simply Sports Blog New York Podcasts. And if you like what you've been hearing, leave a rating and a review, and we much appreciate it. But boy, since we last spoke, we have a lot to talk about, because we had the first round of the NCAA tournament last week, and you know what? It was a little bit anticlimactic, in my opinion. But the second round did not disappoint. So currently here on Monday morning, we have number one overall seed Villanova out by the hands of Wisconsin. The two seed in that same eastern region, Duke, losing to the hands of South Carolina, a team that you will never think of as a basketball team, a a basketball school, if you will. So we have a lot to get into. A lot of upsets in the second round. The teams we thought actually would have a chance to lose as a higher seed ended up winning. And the teams we thought were a shoo-in for a Sweet 16 or even further Elite 8 run ended up losing. And also I have a theory on Lonzo Ball and why America is falling in love with him and what UCLA is doing despite the transgressions of one Lonzo Ball's father who runs his mouth very often. But luckily for him and luckily for Lonzo, He's backing it up so far. Also, I'm going to warn you about what you need to look out for when looking into a NBA mock draft. We're going to get into that, and we're going to break down a bunch of prospects moving forward because this is the Sports Blog New York podcast. So we got to talk about the Knicks, and we got to talk about what they might be doing in this year's upcoming NBA draft. A lot of talks going around. We had some Twitter interaction with our Twitter, at SportsBlogNYC asking our fans to rate these three prospects, Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox, and Laurie Markkinen. Not exactly sure why those three were the ones uh, highlighted, but those are the three that were talked about. Uh, So we'll break down what you guys thought and maybe what you should be thinking about those three and all the other prospects really in the top ten. And like I said, I want to warn you with a few things about what, what to do and what to look for when looking at NBA mock drafts because... A lot of times it's called a mock draft, but it's really more of a big board. You don't even know what teams are going to be picking yet. A lot to lot to happen. So we'll get into that, and we're going to break down a bunch of NBA prospects as well. But first and foremost, let's get into this bracket because let's be real. We thought Villanova was a shoo-in for the Sweet 16. We thought Duke was an even bigger shoo-in for the Sweet 16. And we thought in that region teams like Florida and Baylor stood no chance. Well, not no chance, but had a really good chance to get upset in either the first or second round. And now we're sitting right now on Monday morning with a matchup in the Eastern region of Wisconsin versus Florida, 8 versus 4, and Baylor versus South Carolina, 3 versus 7. It's just something something else, something no one expected. But that's why we love the NCAA tournament. The first round this year, a little anticlimactic. I feel pretty confident saying that. But like I said, that second round did not disappoint. So again, we have Gonzaga, another one seed people thought, meh, don't like them too much. Easily here in the Sweet 16, along with Arizona, Xavier, another 11 seed. So we got some high numbers up in here. The one the one bracket that is uh, most chalk, if you will, chalk meaning higher seeds winning more often than not, is the South region, the bottom right. Got UNC versus Butler, 1 versus 4, and University of Kentucky versus UCLA, 2 versus 3. Literally the only bracket that ended up chalk. 
a lot of weird stuff otherwise. And I'm going to break down a little bit what I saw in the Duke game and what I think is next for some of these Duke prospects, including Jason Tatum, who is almost a surefire top five pick. And if he's not going to end up top five somehow, he will end up top ten. As well as Luke Kennard and Grayson Allen, what is their future hold in the NBA because Luke Kennard right now looking like he's going to be picked next year if he decides to go and Grayson Allen who knows what can happen with him what an interesting character in the NCAA perhaps the most interesting in the NCAA right now and just before we move on we'll round up just kind of talking about who's in the Sweet 16 so we have Kansas versus Purdue a 1-4 pretty normal there in the Midwest the top right bracket and then we got Oregon Michigan and I will have a mea culpa right here. I'm going to take one on the cheek. I'm going to wear it. On our podcast last week when I had Joe Calabrese on, we were breaking down the tournament top to bottom. I told I told you guys that. I did not like Michigan. I thought they were overhyped. They were too trendy of a pick because of their whole plane crash incident. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. They had that huge run through the Big Ten tournament, carried it over. And that might have been one of the best games of the NCAA tournament in the first round when we had 7 Michigan versus 10 Oklahoma State. Jawoon Evans went off, played a great game, but Derek Walton Jr. just was too much, and so was the rest of the Michigan team. But let's talk about a different guy on the Michigan team, a guy you probably did not hear of, Mo Wagner, a big man, 7-footer from Germany, looking up to Dirk his whole life, puts Michigan on his back with a career-high 26 points. Now, I don't know about you. I watched a couple of Michigan's games before. I didn't expect it out of that guy. He put together a real performance. And now, with Derek Walton Jr. and Mo Wagner and the guy Wilson, who's a 6'11 freak athlete who can do a little bit of everything for the Michigan Wolverines, you got to look at Michigan as a team that can make a serious run to the Final Four. And like I said, I will wear this one on the cheek. I thought they'd be out in the first round. And granted, they almost were out in the first round. They gave Louisville fits from start to finish. And just when you thought Louisville was going to come back, Michigan was relentless. And they didn't stop. They didn't give up for nothing. And it shows, as now they're going to take on Oregon, who seems beatable after their tough bout with Rhode Island. Now, granted, I was off Michigan this whole time. It is going to be hard to bet against those boys moving into the Sweet 16. Because Oregon may have won against URI, but it wasn't easy. And it's easy to say Michigan might have had a better time with Louisville than Oregon did with the University of Rhode Island. And that's saying something when you got Rick Pitino on the other side of the bench. But I'm going to get into that theory now with Lonzo Ball. Uh, But before I do, I just want to mention my man Alec. He's feeling a little sick right now. That's why he's not with me here for the Monday morning podcast. Uh, he wishes he was here. He texted me earlier in the day. We talked for a little bit. He said he had nothing to bring to the table. My response was pretty much uh, he typically never has anything to bring to the table. But you know what? I want you to feel better, Alec. So if you're listening to this on Monday morning, if you're going to work, if you made it to work, hopefully you're starting to feel a little better. And uh, I just hope that you know what I, what I think that you mean to this podcast. But again, before I move on, if you did not yet subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, you can find it simply by searching Sports Blog New York Podcast on iTunes. And subscribe, leave a rating and a review if you like what you've been hearing. But let's get into Lonzo Ball, because I have a theory on this guy. And I have a theory on why people are falling in love with him, despite what his father has been up to. Uh, before I get into Lonzo, I'm just going to say, LeVar, if you don't know this, I don't know how you've not 
been just slapped in the face with it over and over again for the past two weeks. But this guy has been talking about not just Lonzo, but his other son, Leangelo, and his third son, Lamello, who are all in the Chino Hills High School program playing basketball, all with rides to UCLA in the works already, even though the youngest is just a sophomore in high school. So he's talking about billions of dollars getting thrown around for their Three Ballers brand, which I can't lie, not a bad not a bad brand he's working with right there. The logo's kind of nice. You know, his son is truly a stud. Lamello, the youngest of the three, basically broke the internet a couple months back when he scored over 90 points in a high school game despite his uh, lack of defense, uh, a.k.a. he did not play any defense pretty much the entire game. But that's besides the point. Let's get into Lonzo. Because it's important to note that this guy, Lonzo Ball, UCLA stud, luckily is good enough to not have to worry about what his father may have been doing to him if he wasn't this talented. Lonzo Ball is getting fallen in love with all across the NCAA and by NBA draft scouts alike because he plays a true NBA-style game in college. It's something that you just do not see very often. So what are you seeing point guards today in the NBA? Move fast, move the ball, good shooters. Most point guards in the NBA who are successful now can really shoot the three ball and shoot it off the dribble and catch and shoot. And now you're seeing more and more with the likes of Russell Westbrook and the James Hardens and, you know, to a lesser extent, even a Damian Lillard. And you saw it, uh, a guy who retired couple years back, Jason Kidd, guys who can crash the boards, guys who can be physical, not just talented moving the ball, not just talented shooting the ball, but be serious physical presence going to the hoop and rebounding. So I think people are falling in love with this Lonzo Ball kid because he plays the true NBA style in the college tournament. It's just something you don't see. Think about the other point guards who are highlighting this NCAA tournament. You have Frank Mason III out there in Kansas. He's a guy who's up for the Naismith Award in the NCAA. And he won't even get drafted in the first round. Frank Mason is the go-to guy for one a number one seed in the college tournament. And he is not expected to be drafted in the first round. Why is that? Well, he's undersized. He doesn't have any ability that supersedes anything else. Which shouldn't be a knock to the guy because that all that says to me is that he's consistent. He can do a little bit of everything. He moves the ball. He controls the game. He can shoot. He can drive. He's a solid as heck player in the NCAA tournament, in the NCAA entire season. Granted, he's up for the Naismith Award. But again, he's not even expected to go in the first round, maybe not even till late in the second round. So when you look at Lonzo Ball, who's a freshman, versus Frank Mason, who is an upperclassman, There's the difference. Lonzo has that upside that people see translating really quickly to the NBA. He moves the ball and has a vision that honestly reminds me of Ben Simmons last year. And now granted, Ben Simmons was on a pretty crappy team and didn't make the NCAA tournament. When you saw that dude run the point, run the fast break, find his teammates without even to seemingly look at them, it was quite impressive. And you get the same sense when watching Lonzo Ball. Now, what does Lonzo Ball have that Ben Simmons does not have? A mean jump shot. Granted, his form is a little odd and it throws people off. The dude can shoot it and he can shoot it from range. So now you're looking at a guy who's 6'5", 6'6", can run as quick as any other guard in the league, 
has length, true length, that he can dunk and rebound with the best guards in the league. And then he has Ben Simmons' passing ability with the shooting ability of, say, let's just pick a good point guard. I mentioned him before, Damian Lillard. He's explosive in many facets of the game. Now back to the reason why America's falling in love with this guy. He pushes UCLA's offense through such a tempo that you see so infrequently in college. Did you see the Florida versus Virginia game earlier this weekend? Virginia didn't even score 40 points in the game. That's because they play a style where it's defense, 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 and you got to work for every shot. Now, UCLA hasn't had much success in the past with all these crazy athletes, the Zach Levines, the Russell Westbrooks. You know, they're in the tournament, they're out of the tournament. Well, this year they were a three seed, and they were impressive. And a lot of people questioned how they would deal with a team like Cincinnati because Cincinnati was able to bang down low, able to slow down the game, able to muck it up defensively and rebounding. But what prevailed today, that NBA style, run and gun, shoot the three, get out on the fast break, and move the ball. That's what Lonzo Ball brought to UCLA as a freshman. And boy, those one, two, and three teams with the first three picks in the NBA draft, which will probably be the Boston Celtics, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Phoenix Suns, They'll be chomping at the bit to get a guy like Lonzo Ball who seems like a guy who can do a little bit of everything and really excel with the jumper and passing. What more can you ask for from a point guard on your team? Granted, his defense is a little bit questioned, but hey, there's a lot of point guards out there in the league whose defense is a little bit questioned. Shout out Steph Curry. Shout out Kyrie Irving. Shout out Dame Lillard. Shout out James Harden. There's these these guys who are studs, these guys who are superstars. They don't they ain't known for defense. I'll tell you that. I mean, John Wall is, and thankfully he's having a really good year this season. Russell Westbrook kind of just based on his effort levels gets gets pegged as a great defender, which, you know, he's a good defender. He's a good defender. Lonzo Ball, his defense may not be there right now, but that's something that can change. And when he's at the next level, he don't have to look at his dad anymore as a guy running his mouth to no end. Because, you know, that's LiAngelo Ball's problem. And that's LaMelo's Ball's problem. Because Lonzo, he's a top five pick. Hell, he's a top three pick. If he went first in the draft next year, nobody would bat an eye. Because that dude can do it all on the basketball court. But let's move on more to the NBA draft as a whole. So I mentioned earlier how uh, I need you guys to be careful. You guys need to, when you're looking at mock drafts, take it easy. Remember that before the season ends and before the NBA draft lottery, you don't know who's going to be picking where. So right now, I looked at the DraftExpress.com NBA mock draft. It has the Knicks currently picking 7th, which, you know, give or take, will be right around where they pick. Anywhere from 8, maybe 9 the highest, to, you know, 6, maybe 5, 4 the lowest. It has them picking 7th, and it has them picking a guy who I love, absolutely love. And you listened to the podcast last week, the week before, maybe the week before that, I brought this guy up, Laurie Markkinen. Seven-foot sharpshooter, one of the best big men offensively in the NCAA that I've seen in recent history. And that goes with the likes of Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis. That, that's where he is offensively as a big man. Those are the only two, te- two names I need to say except he can shoot, and he is shooting in college better than them. He's not a fit for the Knicks. 
By no means does this seven-foot baby Zingas, as I like to call him, fit on the New York Knicks. Now, whether you think Willie Hernan Gomez is a starting caliber center in this league or whether you think he is not, it doesn't much matter. Because granted, you have KP and you love to have him. If you draft this guy in Laurie Markkinen, it's going to be hard to imagine a rotation that truly works on both ends of the floor with both Kristaps Porzingis and 7-foot Laurie Markkinen. Because they're kind of a very similar player. Laurie Markkinen is a little bit more compact, can put the ball on the floor a little better, maybe a slightly better stroke from three. But he's not quite the defensive block shot blocker that Kristaps Porzingis is. But if those two were on the same court, on the same team, there would be defense getting exposed and rebounding getting exposed for the New York Knicks. That's not a fit. And now I'm not saying Draft Express is doing a bad job. But what they're doing is they're laying out their big board. They're saying, we think Markel Fultz is number one. Lonzo Ball is number two. Yada, yada, yada. We think Laurie Markkinen is the seventh overall best player. So that's just my little tidbit for you guys. If you're looking at an NBA mock draft online, whether it be Draft Express or NBADraft.net or Bleacher Report or this or that, they do their best to take into consideration when a team is going to be drafting and what that team may need. But take it with a grain of salt, because I cannot imagine the Knicks going for this 7-foot finish guy, despite my love for the guy. He's super talented, but the Knicks are a bad fit. Him, Hernan Gomez, and Porzingis cannot be on the same court. It would be a defensive nightmare. The rebounding would be fine with those three, say, but they would get torched because none of them can guard a three, and only Willie can probably guard a five really well. It would be a disaster. But that brings me to where the Knicks should go with the draft. And before I get into Dennis Smith Jr., because I think he is one of the most intriguing prospects in this draft, I'm going to go to the University of Kentucky real quick. So I've watched a handful of their games. I watched their game this weekend when they took on Wichita State, which was a very exciting game. Like I said before, this second round really brought the hype back to the NCAA tournament. Because the first round, fine and dandy. Some good games here, good game there. It was kind of underwhelming. The second round... That was live. That was real. We had upsets. Villanova, gone. Duke, gone. Florida and Baylor were the two winners in the in the East region? Are you kidding me? And then how about we have Florida State getting beaten by 11 seed? Some crazy stuff was happening out there. And Gonzaga, the team people love to hate. Oh, also, I forgot about Louisville getting upset. People love to hate on Gonzaga. And they, they win. Easy money. Not even a blink for them. But let's get back to Kentucky. Early in the season, you look at their two stud guards, and you hear a lot of hype about one Malik Monk. Guy's dropping 40 points against UNC. He's averaging well over 20. He's making highlight dunks. He's pulling threes from all over the place. And De'Aaron Fox slowly drips by the wayside, as you don't really know what he brings to the table. You hear that he doesn't really have a great jump shot. You know, he's not scoring a lot of points. He's not getting a crazy number of assists because it's the college game. That's just not how it goes. But slowly but surely, as this season goes on, and Bam Adebayo gets more comfortable, and Malik Monk, his hot streak of shooting starts cooling down, De'Aaron Fox becomes the man for the University of Kentucky. He made a couple plays in this second-round game against Wichita State that made Every NBA fan with their team picking in that top 10 say, okay, 
I'll take that guy because A, he is athletic and he will be able to move with any guard in the league on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. B, he's a lefty. And not to bunch all the lefties up into one one section of one type of player, but lefties are always a little bit weird for defenders to go against. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what mental block these defenders can't get by. But when you see the likes of Emmanuel Ginobili, who, let's be real, can't really move anymore, put the works on people, and defenders just not knowing how to treat this guy, they, they, it, there's something to that lefty, that lefty flavor, that lefty swag that throws defenders off. And De'Aaron Fox has that. And he also showed in this game against Wichita State that he had the vertical athleticism to be a difference maker on the offensive end, putting the ball in the hoop. There's the one play in specific where he went on the left wing, got an edge, and to me, I swear, it looked like he was going up and putting a layup off the glass, and he realized that he had an edge, got up so high in the air that he threw that down viciously. So the moral of the story is here, especially for Knicks fans. If you're looking at those two Kentucky guards and you need one on your team, which the Knicks sure do need a guard on that team. I'm looking at De'Aaron Fox, a guy who's a true point guard, who moves the ball, who doesn't have a great jump shot yet, but that's okay. He shows signs of having good form. But he can run on the offensive and defensive end with any guard in the league. Now granted, I'm just going to throw this out there for all prospects that I'm talking about here. We have to give them some time, people. These people do not just show up in the NBA week one, week two, and take over the league. When I call De'Aaron Fox a a surefire prospect, I mean I see him becoming a good starter in three or four years, okay? He's not going to come to the Knicks next year, average 15 and 10, and lead them to a playoff series. If he does, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. But I just don't see it happening. And I don't see any player in the league coming and having that impact. Even the player who's going to end up going to the best team, the team that just gets all the picks, the Boston Celtics, who have most likely going to have the number one pick, will probably get Markel Fultz, another guy who didn't even make the tournament because his team was literally below average, under 500. He has the best chance to be in the playoffs next year, and even still, with the likes of Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Al Horford, Marcus Smart, he's not going to be the guy who's getting 18 points, 8 assists. And even though he was that guy in college, his team wasn't that good. So if he expects to project as a true NBA stud, it's still going to take even him some time. So that's just something that you have to remember when looking at prospects. And to be honest, it's something that I try to get across to people quite often, and it never seems to resonate. So hear me out for a second. I'm going to bring you back to the 2014 NBA draft, all right? So the number one pick in that NBA draft was Andrew Wiggins. And now, let's think about this. Doesn't it feel like kind of a while ago that Andrew Wiggins was traded from Cleveland to go to Minnesota for Kevin Love? Because that was 2014, three seasons ago. So this dude has played now in his third year in the NBA. And people are starting to question Does he have what it takes to become a franchise player? You can't really say yet. You can only still treat him as a prospect. 
because you don't hit the prime of your NBA career until 27, 28, 29, 30. Think about a few guys for, for me real quick. Paul Millsap did not become an all-star until he was 30 years old. Steph Curry, despite the love and affection he got from fans as soon as he entered the league after his great NCAA 20 trip, didn't become who he was until just two or three years ago when he was already 26, 27 years old. Because he's now 29. Damian Lillard, Kemba Walker, John Wall, guys that you've been hearing about for all these years are now becoming pure, bona fide stars in the NBA. So let's go back to 2014 NBA draft. I'm going to rattle off 10 names real quick. This is all within the top 15 of that draft. Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker, Aaron Gordon, Dante Agza, Marcus Smart, Julius Randle, Nick Stauskas, number 8 pick, Noah Vonley, number 9 pick, Alfred Payton, Doug McDermott, Dario Sarge, probably going to be Rookie of the Year, besides the point, Zach Levine. Those are a couple guys that I'm going to name. Who of those guys can you say with all certainty that they've reached their maximum potential? Any guy that you're thinking of, maybe Nick Stauskas, maybe Marcus Smart, maybe Doug McDermott, those are the less the lesser of the players there. They're not Andrew Wiggins. They're not even Aaron Gordon. They're not Zach Levine. These guys are still so young. And they've been playing for three years in the NBA. That should remind you to take it with caution and take prospects in today's NBA draft, this year's upcoming NBA draft, with a grain of salt. So if Lonzo Ball goes to the Lakers next year and the Lakers are still trash, remember you heard it from me first. Because unless they get more pieces to help them out from top to bottom of that roster, they're still probably not a playoff team next year. Because though Lonzo Ball is going to be a top pick and is expected to do very well by most people and myself alike, him, D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, Jordan Clarkson, are all still years away from reaching their prime. And it's really important to note. So let's go back to this NBA draft, because there's a couple more guys I want to touch on that that have played in this NCAA tournament. So I want to go to Jason Tatum, who I mentioned earlier in the podcast He's a man with supreme athleticism, a guy who seems like he has a very strong stroke, very good stroke, and also just lost to South Carolina on a Duke team that was expected to be a walk-in to the Elite Eight, at least. Does this actually hurt someone's draft stock? I don't think it does, and I think it maybe should, because I mentioned how Frank Mason before he was right there with Lonzo Ball as a college player. Yet, he's not even expected to go in the first round. The same goes for a UNC player, Joel Berry. A guy who has just been the cornerstone of a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. He's not expected to be a top pick by any means. But then you get a guy like Justin Jackson. I mean, not Justin Jackson. Jason Tatum, who, according to DraftExpress.com, is expected to be a top five pick. The dude is six foot eight, two hundred and five pounds. He averaged seventeen and seven this year as a freshman on Duke. That is legit. But how does this game translate to the NBA? Guys like him and Josh Jackson, and to a lesser extent Jonathan Isaac, maybe a Miles Bridges and a Justin Jackson, they're all guys who have legitimate size, 
legitimate athletic ability. A nice jump shot for the most part. Most of those guys do. Ability to put the ball on the floor. And defensive upside because of their length, size, and athleticism. Now, it doesn't matter if Duke lost in the second round to South Carolina. It doesn't matter that Michigan State underwhelmed all year long and lost in the second round to Kansas. If Kansas ends up losing to Purdue in the next round, in this coming weekend, it doesn't matter because NBA scouts know what they're looking for. And they're looking for athleticism, a shooting ability, the ability to cover different positions, because that's really what it comes down to in the NBA. Your position is who you can defend. And you look at a guy like Josh Jackson, who's six foot eight, and Jason Tatum, six foot eight, both have six foot ten or higher wingspans. They can do a lot on both ends of the floor. And that's all an NBA scout needs to do. They know that Jason Tatum can get to the bucket. They know that he can pull some jump shots and his shot's only gonna get better. But then they see that he can def- def- defend any three in the league probably most twos in the league, and then even some fours in the league as he grows and gains some more weight and some strength. So the NCAA tournament, in regards to the NBA draft, has little to no effect, and that's why the number one pick for the second year in a row will have not played in the NCAA tournament. And now that's me assuming that Markel Fultz is going to be the number one pick. Even if he's not, he will be a top three pick Guaranteed, if he is not a top three pick guaranteed, maybe he'll follow the Knicks, right? It's not going to happen. And even in a guy like Dennis Smith. Dennis Smith Jr. is catching comparisons like Russell Westbrook and Damian Lillard. This is a man who's on an NC State team who actually upset Duke this year, but at the same time was not good enough to make the NCAA tournament. So what does that mean about the NCAA tournament? We know what it means now about the NBA draft and what it means about prospects because NBA scouts are looking for upside. They're looking for ability, athleticism, a shooting stroke, and they could honestly care less if you affected your team in a positive manner. Because there's two guys in this year's top 10 who didn't pull their teams to an NCAA tournament. So what does that mean about the NCAA tournament? Before I get into that, I just want to remind you, this is the Sports Blog New York Podcast, and my name is Peter Kennedy. Hope you've been enjoying this episode. I'm going solo tonight, as you have noticed. My man Alec is sick. Usually I'm hanging out with him on Sunday nights for the Monday morning podcast. But I'll be back again this week. I have some good guests coming up. As usual, probably have Joe Calabrese back on to talk NCAA hoops. And then also I'm going to have a man named Steve Rossiter. Not just a college basketball player. Not just a Division One college basketball player but a man who played on one of the most memorable teams in the recent history of the NCAA tournament. His name is Steve Rossiter. He was a power forward for the Davidson team that included Stephen Curry that made a legit Sweet 16 run. So we're going to have him on the podcast later in the week, and I'm very excited about that because not only is he up on today's game and can talk about those matchups coming up, but he can talk about it as a man who's watching this year but as a man who played in the NCAA tournament in his own career and was one of the leading rebounders and maybe the two or three snuck scorer on that team, I'll have to look into it. Obviously, we know who was number one. Steph Curry led that team in scoring. But he might have been two or three. And we're going to have him on. He's going to break down the upcoming matchups of the NCAA tournament. And I'm excited about it. Look forward to having him on. So stay tuned for that. 
And in case you don't want to miss it, all you have to do is subscribe to this podcast on iTunes by going to iTunes Podcast Network, searching Sports Blog New York Podcast, click and subscribe. And if you like what you've been hearing, maybe click at the stars, four stars, five stars, and write a little review. Much appreciated, as always. But let's get back into what this says about the NCAA tournament. This tournament is the perfect playoff in every which way. It's the only playoff in sports that can include this many teams, 68 teams. I don't like to really count those other four, so I'm going to break it to 64 teams. You have 64 teams. Every game is like Game 7. I was having a conversation with some friends the other day talking about which playoffs are set up the best, and someone said, NHL playoffs are really, really awesome. They're actually super exciting. Every game is great. And I tried not to laugh that hard because, you know, I don't, I'm not a big hockey guy per se. But I respect the NHL playoffs. They're phenomenal. But what you have in the NCAA tournament, you do not get anywhere else except for in football. And what trumps the football aspect of one, in one game and you're out, game seven, every game, there's only what? Four teams in the college football playoff, and there's only ten teams in the NFL playoffs. I don't know. I, that might be wrong, actually, off the top of my head. I don't really know. You got 64 teams going head-to-head, one-on-one. Every game is game seven. So the tournament itself is not flawed. What may be flawed is the way people pick their brackets based off of players who they like and players who they think are the best. Because how many people do you know that this year have UCLA in the championship or even winning it all and say, yeah, man, I just love Lonzo Ball. Got to pick him to go deep in the tournament. How many people you say, oh, you know, I'm not even a huge Duke guy, but Jason Tatum and Grayson Allen are just studs. They know what they're doing. They're a great team, even with Luke Kennard. Those are all guys that you know. They're all guys that you hear about. And these are the teams that always end up getting chosen to move forward. But it always seems to be the teams with someone you've never heard of who actually looks like quite the basketball player who end up knocking them off. And what does that do for the NCAA tournament? Because you know what I say? People love talking about how they love the Cinderella story. But I'll tell you what. If South Carolina, even though they're a very exciting team and put on a great show against Duke, if they somehow make a run into the NCAA tournament... I don't care what you say about Cinderella's. I don't care what you say about a true underdog story. That game is not as exciting as if Duke makes the national championship. So I don't know where that leaves the NCAA tournament. I don't think it's a problem. I'm just stating my opinion and stating what I believe is true in this scenario. It kind of annoys me how people love the Cinderella story. They think... The underdog is the way to go, and everybody loves the underdog. It's just not true. It's a common misconception. Everybody believes the NCAA tournament's all about upsets. It's all about the Cinderella. It's just not true. And now, granted, we have number seven, South Carolina, knocking off two, Duke. We have seven, Michigan, knocking off two, Louisville. What I'm going to say is that in a week, when we finish off the Sweet 16, we're still going to see some of those same teams that we always see. And we're going to see maybe a Florida. We're going to see Gonzaga or Arizona. UNC or Kentucky or UCLA are all teams that you're used to seeing. Kansas still looks like the favorite out of the Midwest. 
Everybody loves the Cinderella. But I'll tell you what, when it comes down to it, those upsets are in the second round for a reason. Because Duke is the better team against South Carolina. And if they play over and over and over again, I got Duke nine times out of ten. And the same goes for Louisville and Michigan. Michigan's on an extremely great run, and they are so much fun to watch. Ten times they play each other, I got Louisville eight or nine times out of ten. But that's the beauty of the tournament, and that's why people can get behind it. Because you never know when a University of Rhode Island, as an 11 seed, is going to run through a league and end up in the Final Four. But statistics show it, and just common memory shows it. When we get to next week and we have a Final Four, there's a great chance that we see the likes of a Florida or a Wisconsin, not a South Carolina, but a Gonzaga or an Arizona or a UNC and a University of Kentucky, UCLA. Everybody loves the underdog. They love the Cinderella. But when it comes down to it, those best teams with the best programs and the best coaches end up in the Final Four going for it all. And it might be an unpopular opinion, and I'm okay with that. Because I hate it, and it really bothers me sometimes how people love the underdog. They love the upset. It's a lie. You're lying to yourself. You cannot tell me with a straight face you would rather watch South Carolina versus University of North Carolina or University of Kansas. It's a lie. You'd rather see Duke. You'd rather see Villanova. Hell, you'd rather even see Arizona. South Carolina may be a great story. Michigan, well, they're a different story because they're a well-known school and they've been around forever doing great things. But when you tell me and you tell your friends and you tell everybody you know, Oh, I love the NCAA tournament because the Cinderella stories, man, they're great. I love them because the underdog has a chance. No, they don't. The highest seed to win the tournament in the past 10 years may have been a 7 seed in University of Connecticut. Yet, they were the University of Connecticut. That is a all-time NCAA basketball school. It doesn't count, people. Next time you see a team like, let's say... University of Nevada, Iowa State even, who's always in the tournament, or an Iona, Oklahoma State, who's in the tournament a lot, Middle Tennessee. When you see a team like that make it to the championship and win, then you come talk to me and tell me that there's a real Cinderella story. Because for Middle Middle Tennessee, hey, they beat five Minnesota. They lost to four Butler. Let's say they even beat four Butler. And they, then they lost to UNC in the next round. Is that a success? Yeah, it's a success for Middle Tennessee. But when it comes down to it, like I said before, and I'll say it again, it's the team that wins and the team that makes it to the Final Four that people actually remember, that people actually care about, and that have something to ride home about. You know, Steph Curry and Davidson making that run, like I mentioned, my boy Steve Rossiter was on that team. They're a different story because they had a player who transcended the entire tournament. People probably don't even know off the top of their head, I don't even think I do, who won that tournament. Because there was one player, one storyline, that transcended the entire tournament. Middle Tennessee State, great story. As a 12 seed, they upset the 5. That happens every year. Granted, they were favored, and that's a whole other story. So what do you have in the NCAA tournament? A bunch of upsets that don't mean squat, because they're going to end up losing in the next round. So when you hear a team that is a true 7 seed like South Carolina who is not expected to do anything in the NCAA tournament, 
literally ever. When you see them in the Final Four and see them win an NCAA championship, then you come find me and tell me we have a true upset, a true Cinderella story. Because all this bogus about how everybody loves the underdog, it's just not true, people. It is not true. Because I don't care what you say, if Duke and UNC met in the, in the NCAA championship, who have never played in the NCAA tournament before, that is the most hyped up game possible. And if UNC ends up playing not Arizona, or not Gonzaga, or not Florida even, or not Wisconsin, and they end up playing South Carolina, or Xavier, or uh, who is it, West Virginia, who's a decent story, that is not near the game, and it's not near the story that you have if you, didn't, if you had Villanova in there, or you had Duke in there. And that's just the fact. So real quick before we end up, Again, my name is Peter Kennedy. This is SBNY Podcast. That's Sports Blog New York. I just want to go through a couple more draft picks. All right? Because the NBA draft's coming, and I love the NBA draft. So what did I see from the tournament? Because, you know, you can get a bigger spotlight on some people, and it's important to note what people do when the pressure's on. So Kansas and Josh Jackson, they're still going strong. That dude is legit. He is going to be a starter in the NBA. And it may not be year one or year two, like I mentioned before. But by year four, year three maybe, that dude's going to be starting. That dude can be a lockdown defender, and he has some real offensive upside. He made a block in today's game against Michigan State where his head almost hit the hoop as he went backwards to block a ball off the backboard. His athleticism is legit from top to bottom. He can run. He can jump. His stroke's a little bit weird right now, but he can hit some jumpers, and he gets to the hoop. He made a few post moves on a legitimate defender in Miles Bridges, who's also going to be a first-round pick, and he made him look like he had no business guarding him. And that's saying something, because Miles Bridges is a real athlete, and he's going to be an NBA player for a long time as well. So now let's go down to Jonathan Isaac. He is a borderline top 10, probably going to end up in the 7-9 to range in my opinion. He reminds me of a Kawhi Leonard type. And I say that with a grain of salt because you have to remember what Kawhi Leonard was before he was Kawhi Leonard, before he was the claw, right? Jonathan Isaac is six foot eleven with a 7'1 wingspan. That height and that size with his athleticism, his ability to shoot is probably more advanced than Kawhi Leonard's when he was drafted. Actually, definitely more advanced. He's going to go in that 7-9 to nine range, and he's the same like, like Josh Jackson. True offensive upside with the ability to defend 3 and 4s alike. Honestly, if he gains some weight, can probably give some centers some fits as well in certain lineups. He has length. He has athleticism. NBA scouts look at this. Despite Florida State's early exit from the tournament and his inability to carry his team over the hump, They see that frame, they see that kid move, and they say, we want him on our team. If he's there at 6, 7, 8, he's ours. And the last guy I want to talk about is a guy who's still in the 20. And you know what? Kind of had a quiet game in their most recent bout against Arkansas. So UNC played Arkansas, and you know what? It was a pretty close game. Arkansas gave a true run for the money. Uh, they ended up losing by less than 10. It was it was a solid game. But Justin Jackson is a guy on UNC you expect to make big plays 
Not only because he's extremely talented, but because he's been there before. He's a junior now. He's made serious strides in his NCAA career. But then you see him in the tournament on his game today. You know, a little bit quiet. 15 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. And then you say, wait a minute, that wasn't very quiet. 15, 8, and 5 in a college game? Oh, and he had 5 steals? Damn, I don't really care that he shot 5 for 14 anymore. Because that's not a great percentage. But he was able to affect the game in different ways. And that's the thing I love about Justin Jackson the most. And he's impressed me, especially of late. His game has evolved so much in his three years at UNC. He's projected to be, by Draft Express, a top 15 pick. And some draft uh, boards have him as low as 22. But the thing you got to love about Justin Jackson, and you could get on him now, because he's going to be a starter in the NBA. I, I'm telling you that. Three years, four years, starter in the NBA, a guy with a serious NBA stroke. He has legitimate NBA range. He's going to have a limitless, limitless range badge in 2K. Calling it now. He makes decisions so quickly and plays the game the right way, where he moves the ball willingly, he makes the right pass, he helps out on defense phenomenally, and he's truly athletic. He has the athleticism to guard. He has the length to guard. All he needs to do, put on some pounds like most young guys do, and he can be a true NBA player. He's going to be in the league for a long time just based off that stroke he has and based off his size. But watch out for Justin Jackson because the teams that are going to fall in that 12 to 18 range, the Pacers, the Pistons, maybe the Nuggets, Nuggets would be a great fit, actually. The Bulls, these are all teams that would love to have a six foot eight man who can shoot the three, makes quick decisions, and is confident in all aspects of the game. But boys and ladies, if you're listening, thank you for tuning in today. It was me solo on, on the podcast, on the Sports Blog New York podcast today. A little different doing things solo, so hopefully you enjoyed the show. Hopefully you enjoyed some of the breakdown about the tournament, breakdown about some prospects. We're going to get into more stuff this week. We have some really cool things planned. Like I said, Steve Rossiter, ex-Davidson player, Steph Curry teammate, going to be joining me on the podcast soon. And if you didn't do it yet, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can find it by searching Sports Blog New York Podcast. Give us a subscribe, little rating, little review, and we appreciate every single listener. So hopefully you enjoyed the show. Hopefully you enjoyed some of my insight on the prospects on the NCAA tournament and how Cinderella stories are bullshit. But that's all we have for today. So come back, listen later in the week, because we're going to have some really good stuff going on. And thank you for listening. My name is Peter Kennedy. Have a good day.